This morning, we are in a very well-known portion of Scripture. It's an account of Solomon's prayer for wisdom. From it, we should learn that we are in a great need to pray for wisdom and that God graciously provides such wisdom. May our lives be changed and renewed as we pray more faithfully for wisdom as a result of our study this morning. So our theme is Solomon's Prayer for Wisdom. The background is given to us in the first four verses of chapter 3. I'll read them again to you. Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people were sacrificing at the high places. However, because no house had yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David his father. Only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. So as Solomon is worshiping and offering these sacrifices to God, God appears to Solomon in a dream and gives Solomon an invitation to pray. An invitation to pray. 1 Kings 3, 5. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night and said, Ask what I will give you. Ask what I will give you. What a tremendous opportunity for Solomon. Here is an open invitation. Ask what I will give you. How would Solomon decide on what to ask God to give him? This is an incredible opportunity. I'm sure you have at some point thought about Aladdin's lamp and the magic lamp and the opportunity to express three wishes. And somebody probably has asked you at some point in your life, what would you wish for if you had an Aladdin's lamp and you were given three wishes? Well, we have something far greater than Aladdin's lamp here. We have an almighty God who's appearing to Solomon and saying to Solomon, ask what you will. Ask what you will. It was a great opportunity, but it was also a great test for it's going to reveal the priorities of Solomon, what Solomon values above all, what he would want most to receive from God. Solomon's initial response is to praise God for God's faithfulness in verses 6 through 7. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love, and given him a son to sit on the throne uh, this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father. You have made your servant king in place of David my father. Solomon begins by recounting God's faithfulness and all that he had done for his father David and then in turn for himself in establishing Solomon to be king. And it is 
on the basis of God's faithfulness that Solomon is going to be encouraged to offer a prayer to God. Because God is faithful, Solomon can expect God to hear and to answer his prayer. When I was a, a child, probably about 10 years old, I was taken by my parents to visit a relative that we didn't see very often. And this relative was very much into photography. She had a number of beautiful pictures and especially cameras. And she enjoyed showing off her cameras and what they could do. I was kind of uh, taken by these cameras and was holding them in my hand and looking at them and, and admiring them. And then out of the blue, she said to me, you know, I'm going to get you a camera just like that one. It was a beautiful camera I was holding in my hand. She said, I'm going to get you a brand new camera just like that one. Well, I was excited. I was delighted. Uh, my eyes grew big. And uh, I thanked her profusely. And we got into the car. And my mother put her hand on my leg. And she said, honey, don't get too excited. It turns out this aunt was pretty notorious for not following through on the gifts that were promised. And uh, she said, don't really expect to receive the camera. And I never did. And I never did. God is not like that. God is faithful. God honors his word. What God says he will do, he does. He does. And so when God comes to Solomon and says, pray, ask what it is that you want, it is a, an incredible offer because of the faithfulness and goodness of God as Solomon reflects on that faithfulness and on that goodness. The next thing that Solomon reflects on is his responsibility of being king. God had placed Solomon in the role of king over Israel, verse 7. And now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father. So this is a great task. This is a great responsibility that God has given to Solomon to make him king in place of his father, David. And Solomon recognizes that not only has God given him a great responsibility, but also that Solomon is not up to the task. He's not ready to assume the responsibilities that God has given to him. For notice in verse 7, it states, And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father. And now these words, although I'm but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. Solomon, as he reflects on this great privilege to be made king in the place of his father, David, reflects on his lack of experience, his lack of experience. He says, although I am but a little child. Saying that he is a little child is an expression of humility on the part of Solomon. Solomon, of course, at this time is not a child. He is 
a mature man. He is grown up. He is a person of age. First Kings 3, chapter 1, we find out that he's married. He's made alliance with Pharaoh's king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter, brought her into the city of David until he finished building his own house, the house of the Lord, and the wall around him, Jerusalem. So he's talking about being a child in a figurative sense, not a literal sense. He's demonstrating a humility, a weakness, a need that is present, if you will. Solomon also speaks of not knowing what he is to do as king. Notice the second half of verse 7. Not only does he say, I'm but a little child. He says, I do not know how to go out or come in. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to be the king that I need to be. Again, this humility on the part of Solomon. What is noteworthy is the difference, the contrast, if you will, in the way that David viewed Solomon and the way that Solomon viewed himself. The contrast between the way in which David viewed Solomon and Solomon viewed himself. David viewed Solomon, first of all, as ready and equipped for the task. Ready and equipped for the task. If you go back to 1 Kings chapter 2, we have the um, instructions that David gives to Solomon, and we're going to be looking at them in a, a little bit of detail. And the first thing I want you to note is that, Sol that David views Solomon as ready for the task. For if you look at 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 2, it reads, and these are the words of David, I'm about to go to the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man. Be strong and show yourself a man. That is, show that you are up to the task. Show that you are ready to be king. Demonstrate. Let everyone see, Solomon, that you are a man. You are ready. You're up for this. You can do this, Solomon. So we have the contrast of David saying to Solomon, you're a man. And Solomon saying, I'm a child. I'm a child. The second contrast that is quite stark is the way in which David viewed Solomon to be wise and Solomon viewed himself in need of wisdom. David is going to instruct Solomon with regards to a number of difficult situations. The first is David's instruction to Solomon in regards to Joab. If you look at 1 Kings 2, 5 and 6, it reads, Moreover, you also know what Joab, the son of Zeruiah, did to me, how he dealt with the two commanders of the armies of Israel, Abner the son of Ner and Amasa the son of Jether, whom he killed, avenging in time of peace for blood that had been shed in war, and putting the blood of war on the belt around his waist and on the sandals of his feet. Now notice verse 6. Act 
Therefore, according to your wisdom, act according to your wisdom. He's saying, Solomon, you know what to do. You know how to take care of this. You're up for the task. You're wise. Don't let his gray head go down to show in peace. Notice David's instructions to Solomon regards to Shimei, verse 8 of chapter 2. And there is also with you Shimei, the son of Gera, the Benjaminite from Bahurim, who cursed me with a grievous curse on the day when I went to Manaheim. But when he came down to meet me at the Jordan, I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put you to death with a sword. Now, therefore, do not hold him guiltless. And now notice these words in verse 9. For you are a wise man. You will know what you ought to do to him. You're a wise man. You know what you ought to do. You know what action to take. You know how to address this concern. Solomon, I trust you. Use your wisdom. You'll be just fine. David does not encourage Solomon to seek the wisdom of the Lord. David doesn't say to Solomon, these are tough and difficult situations. And I'm praying for you, and I would encourage you to pray. No. He's confident in Solomon. You're a man. Use your wisdom. You know what you ought to do. Solomon says, I don't know what to do. I'm not a man. I need wisdom. What should be striking is that Solomon's dealing with Adjaniah, Joab, and Shimei do not make Solomon overly conf confident. We saw last week that Solomon, in fact, does know what he should do and does it in relationship to each one of those particular individuals. But even though he knew what he should do in each of those instances and did what was right, those successes, if you will, only served to illustrate to Solomon how important it was to make wise judgments. They didn't serve to give him confidence. They served as a lesson of how important it is to act wisely, to act wisely. Application, here is a great lesson to be learned. Oftentimes, we do not know how difficult a position is until we have been in it for a while. We don't know how difficult a situation is until we've been in it for a while. The great danger of being a novice, of taking on initial responsibility, is that so often we think we're up to the task. <laughs> we think we're ready for it. And not only do we think we're ready for it, we think we can do it far better than anybody else. But one of the great aspects of wisdom 
is to be in a situation for a period of time when you've encountered enough difficulties and enough hardships to begin to realize, you know, I'm really not up to this task. I'm really not adequate. I really do need the Lord's help, the Lord's strength. Here is Solomon in the in beginning parts of his kingship and recognizes the need for wisdom and recognizes the need of wisdom even when others have placed their faith and confidence in him. So even though his father looked at him and said, Solomon, you're up for the task. You got the wisdom. You got what it takes. Don't worry about it. Solomon, in his self-appraisal, understands that he's not what his father thinks he is and that he really does need wisdom. He really does need help. This is a great task. It's a great task for two reasons. In verse 8, the task is great for not only has God chosen Solomon to be king, but God has also chosen the people to belong to the Lord. Verse 8, and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you've chosen. So he's ruling over God's people, a people that God has chosen, that God seeks to bless, that God seeks to minister to, and so then he has a great responsibility for these people are to be greatly used of God. And secondly, the task is great for there's a great number of people for whom Solomon is responsible. The end of verse 8, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. He sees that as a responsibility. And I would also just point out what a great contrast that is to David who had sought to number the people. And Solomon says these, these people are, are too great to be numbered. That this is something that I cannot do in and of myself. So the first application I would make is how do we view ourselves before the Lord? Are we more than ready for the task that God has set before us? Are we confident that we have our lives, our duties, our responsibilities all under control? That we don't need the Lord? Has a modicum of success that we've already achieved given us a false confidence? You know, we can have a, a track record of success. And because we've had some small successes, we might think we're going to just continue on with great successes. And those minor successes can actually be a detriment to us. Solomon had a number of successes already but it did not give him a false confidence or trust in his abilities. The more responsibility that is placed upon us, the more it should help us to see how greatly we are in need of wisdom. And so we ask ourselves, do we see ourselves in need of wisdom? And one objective way in which we can answer that question is, how often do we pray for it? 
That really reveals where our heart and mind is. It's easy to say mentally, oh yes, I, I realize I, I need the Lord's help. I realize I need the Lord's wisdom. Yes, yes, that, that's so true. But how often do we pray for it? How often do we just rely on our own wisdom, our own strength, our, our own insight into situations and make decisions without asking for the Lord's understanding, direction, and guidance. So Solomon asks for wisdom so that he knows how to rule over his people. Solomon seeks understanding from God, verse 9. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people. To govern your people. The, Solomon, the understanding that Solomon is seeking is to be able to distinguish between right and wrong. Verse 9, that I may discern between good and evil. What is right or wrong, and sometimes discerning between what is better and what is best. Solomon is not alone in his need for wisdom. Anyone in his situation would have been in need of wisdom. If you look at verse 9, the end of that verse it says, for who is able to govern this your great people? This isn't just an inadequacy in, in Solomon. Solomon is no stoop before he prays for wisdom. Just as he was not truly a child, Solomon is no fool. Solomon has already made wise decisions as we have noted. But he says, but who's really up for this? Who is capable? And the answer that is expected is no one. No one. No one. David had failed in dealing wisely with the individuals that he speaks of concerning to, and speaks of to Solomon. Joab, Shimei, he had not made wise decisions in dealing with them. And so the problem gets passed on to Solomon because David didn't deal with it correctly in his own lifetime. And even David's counsel to Solomon, to me, appears very suspect in that it seems as though what David is most concerned about is vengeance. What David is most concerned about is getting even. What David is concerned about is these guys are getting away with stuff and how it affected David. He wasn't really concerned with justice. And as I mentioned last week, that God was concerned with justice and justice was done through Solomon, but it really wasn't David's intention. God sovereignly oversaw what was taking place. David, in all his greatness, and I'm not a David basher, <laughs> I mean, David is this unique, godly 
individual. But even David needed more wisdom than what he had. Often he sought God's wisdom. All too often he didn't. No matter how much potential each and every one of us have, no matter if you were voted in your class the most likely to succeed, the wisest of your generation, no matter what accolades we have received, there is none of us that have arrived to the place where we don't need God's wisdom. God's wisdom. What God asks of us is beyond what we're able to do apart from his giving us wisdom. So do we understand our need for wisdom? Just imagine if God would give you the opportunity to pray for anything you wanted. What would you pray for? Would you pray for wisdom? Well, there is an incredible offer that is given to us in the New Testament. It's a promise that's given to us, just like a promise was given to Solomon. And the promise is found in James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. This God that we talked about who's faithful, this God that we talked about who's reliable, this God that we said will keep his word, has said to us, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, and he will give it to you. So do we ask? Do we ask? Can you imagine Solomon, God appears to him in a dream and says to Solomon, ask whatever you want and I will give it. And Solomon just turns over and goes to sleep and forgets about it. Do we forget about this promise? Or do we exercise it? Do we habitually come and ask God for wisdom? We need wisdom to understand what God is doing in our lives and in the world. The verses that precede verse 5 and James says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and the steadfastness has its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who generously gives to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Trials, tribulation, tests can be difficult. Have you ever asked yourself why? Why am I going through this? Why am I experiencing that? Why is the world like it is? Ever had doubts? Concerns about what is taking place? Trying to make sense of it all? Decisions that you have to make? Count it all joy. How do we do that? It requires wisdom. The ability to ascertain what is God doing here? 
to remember God's sovereignty, to remember God's goodness, to remember God's love. But even more than just remembering the characteristics of God, but to understand his providence and his leading and his direction, to be able to see God at work in this present circumstance, to be able to identify the goodness of God that we are experiencing in the midst of this trial so that we can joyfully give thanks to God for what we are going through because we have the wisdom to perceive how a good God is leading and directing in this particular circumstance. And I can see the good that is coming out of it. We will not perceive that on our own. That is not a part of our natural makeup or being. Our natural response is doubt. Our natural response is to question. Our natural response is to ask God to remove us from that trial, that difficulty. Take it away! It requires real wisdom to be able to count it all joy in the midst of trials and difficulties and hardships. I submit to you that we are all in great need of wisdom. Well, Solomon's prayer was good in the sight of the Lord, verse 10. It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked for understanding. God was delighted with that particular request. And so God will answer the prayer of Solomon because he had not prayed selfishly, but he prayed selflessly. Verse 11, and God said to him, because you have not asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, because you have asked a good thing, I'm going to give it to you. Again, in the book of James, it says, you desire and do not have, so you murder, you covet, and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Solomon was not asking for himself. He was asking for the nation, the ability to rule God's people and to rule them well. And so God will give Solomon what he asks for in verse 12. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. Solomon is a one-off. No one ever is wise as Solomon before him. No one ever is wise as Solomon after him. And as we will work through 1 Kings, we will see the amazing demonstrations of the wisdom of Solomon. Solomon was wise. And then God says, I will not only give you what you asked for, he says, I will give you what you did not ask for in verse 13. 
I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. No other king is going to be as rich, as powerful, as mighty as you are. You didn't ask for that, but I'm going to give you that. Because I'm pleased that you asked for wisdom. We find in this verse that God in his generosity supplies for the needs of Solomon and much more, much more. I'd like to read a lengthy portion of scripture from Matthew chapter 6 from the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19, it reads as follows. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore I say to you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you shall drink, nor about your body, what you shall put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into their barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of much more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They tell not, nor do they spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon... In all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we shall wear? For the Gentiles, that is the unbelievers, seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you have need of them. And then here's the crux, verse 33. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. These things are the things that people worry about. The clothing, uh, what I'm going to eat. Am I going to be cared for tomorrow? He says that's what the non-believers think about. What we have to have is our greatest concern. Is not our physical provisions, but our spiritual ones. What our greatest concern is that we would seek the kingdom of God first, that we would want to promote God's honor and glory, that we would know how and would want to live for him and advance his kingdom. And the promise is that if you seek those things, all these other things will be added to you. You don't, you don't have to worry about that. You don't have to be making spiritual decisions based on what's the ramification of my making this choice? Am I going to be bankrupt? 
if I do what God wants me to do? Am I going to miss out on life by giving myself over to him? Do I have to hold on to my life or do I gain my life by handing it over to God? Is my life enriched in the fullest sense of that word as I dedicate myself anew and afresh to him? Can I trust him with my life? Now, the scriptures teach us that we're not to be presumptuous. It does teach us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. There's nothing wrong with asking for God's provision for us. But it's not our greatest concern. It's not our greatest concern. At this point, in Solomon's life, his greatest concern was that he'd be a good king. And he understood that to be a good king, he had to be able to discern what was right and what was wrong. He'd have to make choices between what was better and what was best. He knew that he had to instill God's law upon the nation. And for him, that was the most important thing. And God was pleased that that was the most important thing to Solomon as Solomon offers that prayer. So let's look at Solomon's response. In praise and thanksgiving, Solomon offered sacrifices to God. Verse 15, and Solomon awoke and behold, it was a dream. Then he came to Jerusalem and stood before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings. He's thanking God for this incredible gift of wisdom. And in, secondly, in praise and thanksgiving, Solomon seeks to be a blessing to his people. At the end of verse 15, uh, after having offered up these sacrifices to God, it says, and made a feast for all his servants. Made a feast for all his servants. He gave this as an opportunity for his servants to rejoice, for he realized that what God was doing, he was doing for the benefit of his people. And so he used what God had given him for the benefit of God's people. Well, in conclusion... What should our response be, knowing that God has given us the opportunity to pray for wisdom? I ask you, quite bluntly, are we humble enough to recognize our need of wisdom? Lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct thy paths. Do you realize that you need wisdom in rearing your children? Do you realize that you need wisdom in making decisions in the life of this church? Do you realize you need wisdom to be teaching the scriptures and making proper application and understanding of its truth? Do you understand you need wisdom about your future? What you're going to do with your life? How you're going to serve God? Whether you're going to go to college or not go to college? Whether you're going to, to move or whether you're going to stay in the area? Do you realize that we are constantly making decisions? 
Do we make them without seeking God's direction and help and understanding? Do we just simply weigh the pros and cons in our own thinking and come to some kind of conclusion of what we think is best and just move forward? What an incredible gift that God offers us of wisdom. May we pray for that wisdom on a continuing basis. Secondly, do you really think God will grant that request? If you do ask for that wisdom, do you think think he'll give it to you? You think there's some uh, fine print in that promise? If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Solomon believed that what God said he would do, he would do because God is faithful and has done what he said he would do. So we need to believe that if he offers this wisdom, he'll give it to us. And then then lastly, and what is the motivation? Why should we pray for wisdom? So that everybody can just marvel at how smart we are? So that we can appear to be head and shoulders above everyone else? So that people will admire us, look up to us, maybe seek us out? Or do we want wisdom so that we can truly glorify God? That the decisions we make won't just be to our benefit. That's the worldly view. Just not so that our lives are not shipwrecked and we know a measure of joy and happiness, but that our lives would really, really advance the kingdom of God, that, that we can be tangibly used of, of the Lord. And as we exercise wisdom, we preserve others. One of the great reasons we need wisdom in rearing our children is not just so that when they grow up they don't make us look bad. But all that we are able to preserve them from. All the heartache and misery that they don't have to endure. But not even just for their benefit. So that when they grow up they in turn want their children to worship and serve the Lord and they are using their lives to further the kingdom of God that they are dedicating themselves and using their gifts and their talents within the church and and promoting and sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. For those outcomes to be achieved We need wisdom on a daily basis of interacting with our children, disciplining them, encouraging them, rebuking them, 
helping them to mature and develop in their own lives. And then as Sunday school teachers, they were making application that's meaningful, helpful, that, that people are, are grappling with the experiences that they are encountering and getting a better understanding of what God would have them to do and how they should respond in a God-honoring way. The more we explore the depths of those things, the more we realize we're really not up for the task. It's beyond us. May God give us wisdom. May God help us. Let us pray. Almighty God, we pray this morning for wisdom. We pray for insight. We pray for understanding. Lord, teach us the truths of your word. Open thou our eyes that we might behold wondrous truths from your word. Open our eyes to understand your power, your grace, your wisdom. Give us an understanding of who you are. And then, Lord, give us an understanding of our relationship to you, of all the promises that you will lead, you'll, you'll direct, that we are your children, that our sins are forgiven. You will watch over us. Oh, Lord, give us an understanding of your promises. And this morning, particularly this great promise, if any of us lack wisdom, let him ask of God. Oh, Lord, may that be a regular part of our prayer life. May we constantly be asking that you would give us wisdom. And Lord, may it become second nature to us before we sign contracts, before we enter into arrangements, before we make commitments, that we ask for wisdom. Before we teach your word, as we study it, may we ask for wisdom. As we make decisions in the life of the church, may we ask for wisdom. And oh God, grant us that wisdom to your honor and to your glory. May we acknowledge your goodness in leading us, your goodness in directing us. Lord, may glory not come to us, but may it be given to you. And Lord, may you further your kingdom as a result of the influence that we're able to have as you impart wisdom to us. May we be able to impart it to others. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.